<clears throat> I can you hear me? I cleared my throat, but I thought I had my I thought I had muted myself. I heard about half of the clip, the throat clear. Uh, um, shoot, do you want to go over that, or should we leave that in? Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I am joined, not as always, by the very special Adam Day, sometimes formerly known as Silent Adam on the podcast. Adam is a producer on the podcast. He runs content here at Wistia, and he is with me here today because Sylvie is on vacation. So good for her, Surprise right? Surprise guest. Here I am. That's not, <laughs> I know. Good are. for her. Take some time. Take some time for yourself, people. Yes. Take some time. Support her. Take some time. Although she had, I cannot wait to hear when she's back because <laughs> her travel plans, as many listeners of the show may guess, did not go as Sylvie had planned. And no, I cannot Syl- wait to yes. hear yes. how it Sylvie, all went. Sylvie can get herself into trouble. It's like the antics of Sylvie. And <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a children's book series. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this, of her not making it to uh, cautionary <laughs> tales. Yeah. So to her intended destination. <laughs> But we have a great guest today. We have Dan Martell on the show. Great guest. Great guest. Dan is the CEO of SaaS Academy, which is the biggest B2B coaching program in the US, um, helping coaching B2B SaaS specifically. He's a five-time founder. He sold three of his businesses. And this is a really fun interview because we actually sat down and re-recorded this with him in person during his conference that SaaS Academy is putting on. Totally. I think like remote production feels really good these days, but there's, you know, when you're in person, it's just such a different energy to like be in the same room as someone and just like really get a sense of their movement and like their facial expressions. And it was kind of fun to like go on location there, like loading in, loading that out was gear. Fun. And have yeah. all the gear and all the cameras and all the stuff. It's it's funny. It, it, you need to do that to appreciate how easy this is. Like, just like <laughs> send know. a link between the two of us and we're going. And like, that's, go. not, that's not what it took to record in person. But Adam, I don't get to ask you this question that much, but I'd love to know what's got you talking too loud. So much has got me talking too loud. I mean, I I was thinking about the last time I was on the show, which was, oh, for State of Video Report earlier this year. And I was like, man, I look so bad in my home office. Everything's like this camera is like grainy. I've got all the right lighting in here. I got to get my my laptops like up on a huge stack of hard drives. It's ridiculous. And I'm looking at you. You've got this great setup. So I'm thinking first and foremost about fix my setup because I need my setup fixed. And we we just launched this great uh, mini series called Fix My Setup where our video producer, Steve, uh, works with people, marketing pros kind of like all over from all different types of organizations they need their setup fix we do a whole webcam makeover they're like a minute long each like you can watch all five episodes in five minutes and they're all awesome great tips which i should be taking into account i need to get i need to get on the list and that was how this happened for me so i'm really excited about the series it's working out i'm ready for you to get up like walk over and like get a banana off that tree or whatever's going on (laughs) back there (laughs) You know, I've been getting, for people who are listening, like, my setup is totally fixed, and I have this tree over here, and I keep getting that this looks like a tiki bar. I think you need to lean in. That's well, I have. I want to show you how that. I've leaned in. This is my new cup. Yes. Wearing. Oh, yes. we need to yeah. get an umbrella in that cup. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> We've got cool stuff going on. So I'm feeling, I'm just feeling like all the vibes from fix my setup. We've got some really cool features dropping. So it's fun. That's what's got yeah. me talking too loud. That's what great. about you? What's, what's got your VU meters clipping? 
That's oh, wow. audio nerd well, yeah, talk. I, mean, to, talk. <laughs> I think I could probably go into the town hall a little bit because like that was just super fun. We did that earlier. I can't even believe that was earlier this week, honestly. It feels like... That was your first one. Is that your first town hall? It, it, so uh, was it was 17. the first of this kind. Yeah. Like, so what was basically, it like? Is it new? Did it feel new? It Well, it's funny because it felt new to do externally. So basically, Brendan and I went through a lot of the stuff we've launched in the last like three to four months. And then we talked about some of the things that are coming in the next weeks and days and months. Um, and we showed a little bit of stuff that might come, might not come in the future into the Wistia. This is all stuff that into the Wistia product. And we, this is what happens at internal meetings all the time. So it felt extremely familiar in that sense. It's like, well, we're talking about this all the time. We're all very aware of it. We all are talking about it. And it felt new in the sense that it was like for an external audience and opening it up for the questions and really getting in there. And even internally, you and I know this, like there's so much stuff happening. It can be hard to keep track of right? It's really easy to miss stuff. And of course, like we have the most vested interest in knowing what's going on. So anyone externally is going to have probably even less of a chance of knowing everything. Yes, exactly. Even like when I'm using any product that I use every day, it's like a software product that I'm using. They're trying to tell me stuff, you know, they're trying to like, let me know about new features. And I just, you're right, things can get missed. And it's kind of fun to like, take a second and like, go through it and talk about it. Exactly. So that was great. And, you know, I'm excited for summer. I'm traveling next week, which will be really fun going to a conference in Scotland. Um, I got wow. to hear your Scottish accent earlier. So that was That's a true right. delight. <laughs> I won't make you do that on the show. <laughs> Great. Thank um, you. But uh, yeah, no, there's just a lot, a lot going on. It's gonna be a busy summer, which is good. That's what you want. So speaking of people who are very busy, speaking of people who are very good at actually working to be less busy, buying back their time. Um, mm-hmm. Dan Martell, our guest Loving today. Loving this transition. Great yes, transition thank you, so far. Thank you. Dan Martell, our guest today, CEO of SaaS Academy, wrote a book about buying back your time, scaling your business. Really helpful book. Great interview. Let's jump into it with Dan. Well, look, Dan... Chris. Thank you for being. Thank you for having me here. No, this is fun. <laughs> so we're here at your event. Yep. Um, which I'll be speaking at later. So thank you for having me at the event. No, it's my pleasure, man. Um, I'm excited to be here, and thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. So obviously we have to start. What's got you talking to that? Oh man, I'll start talking loud. You know, I, I will say the thing that I've been spending the most time talking with people is this concept of like the human existence. I don't want to go like oh, way left, yeah. oh, no. but it, it's, <laughs> no, but I, I literally, <laughs> this is the big idea and this is why I'm so excited about it. I, I truly believe every human in the world is here to do one of two things. One, become the best version of themselves, what I call the 10.0 version of themselves. And we can break that down and then share that process with the world. And I don't care if that world is your kids or your family or your community or your church or your CrossFit gym or your city or social media. I think if every person woke up with that primary drive of trying to be the best version of themselves today and share that process with the world, everybody would feel fulfilled. So like, that's a really cool thing that I just can't shut up about. So yeah, that's probably what got me talking real loud. Yeah. And I would love to go a little bit deeper just on how do you get to the place where you actually feel comfortable sharing that stuff? Because I've been really impressed. I mean, we've known each other a long time and you have been so consistent that Mm -hmm. entire time in sharing your journey. Um, it seems like it's something that's like innate and like, I know that you're very into fitness. I know you wrote your book. I know that you're traveling around doing these different things. Like I know that you moved, I know all these things about your life. And I, to me, it doesn't feel like you're just doing it 
because like you think you need to, it seems like it's just almost like more innate. And I'm just wondering if we can go like slightly deeper to bring people in about just how do you get comfortable doing that? Yeah. I mean, you just got to, you do have to start. I mean, I don't want to sound flippant, but like even my personal journey um, that I share often on stage, like I didn't share that for 15 years. Yeah. Right. But again, let's say becoming the person the 10.0 version of yourself, I also believe you should try to strive to become the person you needed most in your darkest times, right? Like yeah. that that's a really motivating concept to say like, you know, what did I go through in my life that I'd love to help other people avoid or get through quicker? I think that's a beautiful place to wake up and operate from. So if that's your goal, then, you know, if you're a year removed from that or 10 years removed from that or 15 years, it's like, share what you went through. Now, some people, you know, it's hard. It's shame. I've got people I love. They're still in my life. I don't want to talk about that part of my life. That's fine. But I'm talking about like you worked out this morning. Some people didn't work out. Post that you worked out. And they're like, well, I don't want to share that because I don't want people to think that I think I'm better because they didn't work out. <laughs> That's your story stopping you from sharing, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. what I've discovered, this is a good, this is fun. Because I talk about this so much. I've yeah. gotten a lot of feedback. Yeah. You either inspire or irritate. Yeah. So think about this. If I share that I just finished an Ironman, the people that are training to do something yeah, big and meaningful, yeah. they're like, game on. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And then the people are like, oh, well, you always got to talk about Ironman. I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> then those are typically the people that struggle with that. Yeah. Same thing with money. If you share about some of the success, awards, whatever, like the people that are on the path to achieve those things too or desire it, yeah. they're going to be inspired. Yeah. And the ones that aren't are going to be irritated. So yeah. understand it has nothing to do with you, has to do with them. And I think the more you realize that everybody's like playing this movie in their head and the main character is them and has nothing to do with you, that you can just get better at separating, right? People that troll me on my comments, like I'm just like, dude, that's fascinating. Like, I don't yeah. know what's going on in your life that you took the time out of your day to subscribe, consume, read my stuff, watch my stuff, and then take the time to leave a comment. Yeah. But clearly that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people, that's what holds them back is the fear of the pushback yeah. and like also the, not really knowing who their audience is. Yeah. And you obviously know. Yeah, but even the audience thing, like, I remember I was driving once with my my buddy Sam, and uh, he was asking me about speaking. He's like, you know, uh, you know, how do you figure out what you should share? And my response to him was, uh, "Hey, but do you got friends?" Like I was being serious. He's like, "Yeah, I got some friends." I said, "Do they like you?" Well, I think they like me. Yeah. I say, cool. Whatever you're saying to them, yeah. If you shared with the world, you would attract other people just like your friends that would like you. Yeah. So the trick is is to just be you. But for the most part, like, I think some folks just dismiss, like they, if you think of like um, script writing, right, there's this concept called the character diamond. So the character diamond is this principle when they're developing characters to make sure that they're full featured, right? They're not flat characters. And one of the concepts is like, you know, they're kryptonite, like every hero has an equivalent of their kryptonite, because if not, they don't have any flaw, they don't have no dimension. So the other day I was talking to my buddy Dave and I was like trying to explain because he wanted to start posting more. He's like, what should I post? A lot of this stuff? I go, yes, and what is something that you are passionate about that I don't know about? He goes, uh, well, I actually cook a lot. I was like, dude, you cook? He goes, every night. Like what? Like pretty amazing meals. Like what kind of meals? Italian. I'm like, dude, tell me about this. I go, you've never posted anything about it. All of a sudden you became more interesting. So like for me, like I have an addiction to peanut butter and chocolate, like a serious one. I also have a secret addiction to Real Housewives. Like there's just there something go. about reality go. TV yeah. Yeah, yeah. where when I want to watch something and turn my brain off, 
like man, Real Housewives always delivers. Yeah, yeah, and I could argue which which one is it? New Jersey's got a great one. Yeah, Uh, Beverly Hills is great. I got into Vanderpump Rules, like so. But again, that's like such a weird. (laughs) No, but it's but it's like an interesting. But your whole point though is that like you have to put yourself in a position where there's no there isn't really another option in terms of being yourself. Well, it's not hard. That's That's what what I'm saying. Like is like then it's just natural. Yeah, which is funny because like for me that was probably this podcast. Yeah. Whereas like I can't just selectively pick things from like my life or from work or what have you to share and have them all be great. And like, it's too tired. Like it's just too tiring in a podcast. So instead it was like, at some point I realized, Oh, I'm actually really comfortable sharing all these other parts of my life. And that's also seems to be what actually is engaging. And it's this funny thing though, because it's like, we're, it's almost like, it feels like people have, I think when we think about social media, we assume that everyone has like this perfect life. And that's, what's like annoying about like Instagram. When the truth is a lot of those people's lives that we're seeing, like we're not seeing just the perfect stuff that's, we're just anchoring to that. And there's a lot of other things too. You know and, what I mean? And they lack, and they lack depth. So like, you know, when you see these, um, you know, the, the Lambos and the watch kids on Instagram, those like, they all look the same. I don't think they even know. Like, yeah. like you know, Bobby or Billy or whatever their name is living in Miami, they literally blend together. I can open up one profile or another one. And it's like, I don't know whose profile I'm on. <laughs> same tan, same jewelry, whatever. The thing that it makes us endeared to The Rock, Kevin Hart, Oprah, like these mega personalities is that we know their flaws. And the beauty of it, Going back to my friend Sam, who's asking me, like, what do I share? I go, if you try to share stuff that's not you, it will feel hard. So at the end of my day, at my events or wherever, when people are like, aren't you tired? I go, why would I be tired doing me? I don't try to pretend I'm anybody else. There's no effort. I'm not trying to be the guy on stage. It's literally, you know, I it's it's a weird, you know, you do events, man. It's weird to like know that everybody's staring at you going, is he full of shit? Like literally that's. I know that when people meet me for the first time, especially if they're clients, they're going, is he the real deal? Is he full of crap? Is he like one of those guys that like says this on stage and he's something else? (laughs) I just don't ever want to be in that position. So yeah, I think for social content and just, you know, producing stuff is just literally almost amplify exactly who you are. It's richer. It has more depth and it's, it's what's going to allow you to, to create people that are, I think, endeared to who you are and want to support you. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that way of thinking about this. For people who don't know, can you kind of like draw the quick version of kind of where you came from and and how you got to the place where you have like the leading B2B coaching business? Like what does that story arc look like with you in it? Yeah, I'll try to share the shortest version of it. But, um, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggled with stuff growing up. You know, it's why we become entrepreneurs because we learn how to deal with uncertainty. That's the definition of entrepreneurship, making decisions with imperfect data. Okay. So, um, I grew up in a home. I'm the second oldest of four. My mom, my mom struggles with alcoholism and I grew up around that and a lot of, uh, you know, verbal, emotional abuse. And my dad was in sales, so he was traveling a lot. So, you know, I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11 and I just ended up getting around people that were twice my age doing stuff I shouldn't have been learning at a very young age. Kind of, I mean, a friend of mine asked me, he goes, I don't get, like knowing you today, Dan, I don't get what your childhood looked like. And I said, have you ever watched Sons of Anarchy? He goes, yeah. I go, kind of like that. Like literally East Coast of Canada where I grew up, I was hanging out with the Hells Angels, they were pushing like serious weight. I'm 14, 15, driving in cars with trunks full of stuff I shouldn't have been in. Yeah. Like guns. Yeah, it's wild. Guys yeah. getting shot at 
parties in backyards, like just really crazy wild stuff. And that was just my reality. I didn't know it was weird. Um, and I ended up in jail the first time when I was 15, got out, said I would change my life. I lasted less than 24 hours and then went into a major spiral for a year to the point where I, I found myself high and drunk in a stolen car and in a, in a uh, high speed chase. And eventually I ended up in this neighborhood and tried to get away from the police and saw an open garage door and ended up smashing it in the side of this house and went for the gun. And uh, yeah, it essentially let the police take my life. And for whatever reason, it got stuck. And the cops came up on the car and grabbed me and threw me in the back of the cop car. And I woke up sober the next morning in a jail cell wondering, Honestly, I was like, am I going to get three years? Am I going to get four years? And I uh, ended up getting about a year and a half. And because of the severity of my crimes, I got released to an adult prison. And that was like real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Cell blocks, locked up. I got in a fight. And uh, we got sentenced to the hole for three days. And I mean, we're talking 23 and a half hour lockdown. Like the the stuff you experience in in juvenile detention or prison or jail or anything. It's just dehumanizing. And on the third day, this guard pulled me out named Brian and asked me to follow him. And we walked back past the cell block into the guard unit, which I'd never been inside before. And he sat me down in the corner and he just like shook his head in disappointment and just asked me what I was doing here. And I was like, well, I got in a fight. And he goes, no, not, not that. Like, what are you doing here in prison? And I was like, well, I got in a high-speed chase and I had guns and drugs. And he just goes, I don't get it. He goes, I've been working here for years. And he goes, Dan, if you've never heard anybody tell you this. Like, you don't belong here. And um, I'm confused. And there's, I just got super emotional because, like, I was like, why is he telling me this? Like, he doesn't have to tell me this. And there was just like this part of me that just started thinking about like, well, maybe I'm not bad. Cause I grew up just thinking like I was the bad kid. I was the kid in the neighborhood where I wasn't allowed to hang out with the other kids. We'd have to hide in the woods to play together. And here's a guy saying like, I watch you, you know, try to stay out of the prison politics and your homework and all that stuff. And um, that was the moment where I started to shift the belief of maybe who I was as a person, that maybe I was a good person. I always felt it. Like I, I get myself in trouble, but I kind of felt it. And how that old was were good. you? When I was 16, 17 okay. when that happened. Okay. But four months later, because of that conversation, this belief that he had in me that I didn't have in myself just shifted everything. And I eventually got released early to finish out the rest of my sentence in this rehab center called Portage. And that was, that place saved my life. And uh, at the end of that program, I was helping Rick, the, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the cabins because it was built in this old church camp. And uh, there was this old 486 computer and a Ziff Davis book on Java programming sitting next to it. So never touched a computer my whole life, open up this book and start reading it. And I thought it would be like some weird computer hacking code stuff. And it read like English, like JavaScript. And I just followed chapter one and I got this, this old computer to say, hello world. It's pretty sick. Dude, I thought yeah. I was a genius. <laughs> I literally yeah, yeah, yeah. like was like, oh, I must be a computer genius. Like, how could I have done this? <laughs> Turns out any normal person that's got a 70 IQ could follow the instructions. And, and uh, like, literally, it's like, the, the, the yeah, step by step in the book, yeah. what happened? Start the terminal, <laughs> execute the job. Like, somebody obviously was coding on this thing, so it was already set up and everything. But 
um, it didn't matter. There was just something that I just decided maybe this is my thing. Maybe this is how my brain works. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to passion about. And that's what I did. I ended up going all in on software. My dad made a commitment to me. If I uh, finished the book, I had an unlimited budget for buying books. We'd go to a local bookstore almost every other week and buy like the 21 day books. And like, literally it was like 97. Yeah. So it turned out there was this little thing that just launched called the internet. Yeah. And probably the most beautiful, perfect timing. So I got into the internet in 97, started building web apps and haven't turned back and it's been a pretty amazing career. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. dude. I, I'm like, literally today, I'm in shock still. Yeah. That well, like that was, and I still go three, four times a year. I go talk to the kids. Yeah. I'm literally text with them. I, make, How, like yeah. it, I feel like I've noticed this thing, which is like, I don't know if you, you guys have felt this, but like when I think about, you know, I graduated high school in 01, but it feels there's certain elements of that that feel like they were yesterday. Yeah. It like brings me back. And is that how you feel too? That you like, when you think about those memories or like, you feel, almost feel like, how am I even the same person doing this thing? Totally. Yeah. I, I, sometimes it's a smell like Irish spring soap for some reason brings me back to rehab. Yeah. That was just their yeah. soap they use yeah. or, you know, like almost like a, a plastic smell, like a, I don't know, like a paraffin wax type smell brings yeah. me back to prison yeah. or, but I even have just like environments where, cause I can still remember how I thought. And I think this is a beautiful idea for people to consider that when we write our thoughts down, that creates separation. And over time, when you reread your old thoughts, you go, but I don't believe those things anymore, which makes you wonder, well, I'm not my thoughts. So it's kind of neat to remember yeah. that headspace. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I believe that um, our story is one of the most powerful things we can share to help other person. That's it. It's yeah. the glue. It's the yeah. transformation. Yeah. I want to dig into kind of the longevity piece of this because 97 is when you're getting into software you've been in the game for tw over 25 years at this point um i've been in the game for 17 years and i'm constantly surprised yep. that like it feels like it's gone really quickly never stops. but also it's like it's like way longer than i thought mm -hmm. what do you think is the secret to perseverance like how do you stick with all the challenges that come with scaling a business and a career yeah to me it's it's um it's understanding the why right so like my why is to be an example for the kids that are still in that spot. So the software stuff is almost like a vehicle to do that. The more successful, the more resources I have, you know, financially, audience, my capabilities, my skills, the more I know I'm going to be able to help them. So like it hasn't been hard because I've been very clear on what I want to achieve. I think people that have a hard time with the challenges today, it's because they, they don't know the purpose, right? If you have a big enough why, the how is easy, right? And you can overcome any challenge because of that, that direction. So I got the gift at 16, 17 years old when I almost took my life to, to realize, because at that moment I turned to God, I didn't believe in God, right? There's a great song by Jelly Roll right now. He says, I only turn to God when I need a favor. That was me, man. I didn't, I didn't have faith, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I almost hated it. Mm -hmm. I was like, my, I grew up Catholic. I hated church. I don't want to go to church. Still don't, honestly, but, um, <laughs> but I, but I believe in a higher power. I just don't like religion. Right. And, um, so learning at 17 that somebody was looking out for me because there's no reason I was alive and seeing my life 
committing myself to doing better because I literally gave up and I said, if there's a God, just help me get through this. There was no bigger plan. There was no like, I'll do anything to give back. It was like, I promised to stop breaking the law. That was my, yeah. it's as big of a commitment I was, yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, gonna yeah. give. But man, I just show up every day for, for that reason and it, and it keeps pulling me forward. And, and the way I stay relevant is I literally got this advice from one of my mentors, which is find the smartest people you can and spend time with them without being creepy. I added the without being creepy yeah, yeah, yeah. because he was like, you know, I moved to San Francisco. I was like, what do I do? He's like, find the smartest people you can and spend time with them. And I was like, oh, that's like, yeah. but we just, it was, it was really that. And so I, even now with like AI and, you know, Bitcoin or crypto or blockchain, I just create groups of people that I think have way more time than I have to go deep. And, and we meet every couple of weeks and I just ask them, what are you teaching me? Like, Show, show me what you're learning. You, yeah. you know, you've gone down AI around this concept, generative video. What are you learning? You're doing more voice stuff. You're doing more tech stuff. You're doing GPT stuff. You're doing Bard stuff. Like I want to know. Yeah. And then my whole thing is just figuring out how can I create value using my unique skill set. All right. Well, look. Let's transition into the book. Yeah. Um, because you you basically talked about here's the here it is. Buy back your time by Dan yeah, Martell. That's my baby. That's your baby right there. That's my baby. Uh, but you're doing a lot of different stuff. And you've scaled a, a huge amount, right? Yeah. And you've evolved through all this change. Um, and like, I know you've written this book. I've read it. It's great. I've I've found myself recommending it to entrepreneurs a lot because so many entrepreneurs get stuck. Yeah. But can you just talk about like, what is the book? What is the high level concept? I mean, I, I read it. My takeaway was scaling and delegation is often not something that people take far enough. And they also are not in touch enough with like what they need. Yeah. And like those two things, like I can think of specific advice I got from entrepreneurs over the years that were like really pushed me forward in the delegation front. Like I one conversation um, with Ben from MailChimp where I was, I was asking him for like delegation hacks. I'm like, what is your hacks, dude? Like, tell me like, your how do you secrets. manage your email? Do you do inbox zero? And he just looked at me and he's like- It's like a Zen mood. <laughs> yeah, he's like, why are you trying to do hacks? I was like, why? Well, he's like, it's just about people, man. Like you need to actually delegate. He's like, are you delegating? Are you afraid to delegate? Do you have people you can delegate to? And I remember like Waka was like, uh, am I delegating? I thought I was, but am I? And I started to look, I'm like, no, I'm getting a thrill of like solving problems myself, which is also stopping people from stepping up. And it was like this huge moment for me in terms of scaling the business. Um, but in your book, you also talk about like really being in touch with what you need. So can you just kind of like walk us through How'd you get to this point? What's it been like getting it out there? Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting because I'm known as a software guy and I write a book that most people consider a productivity time management book. And yeah. it is, but it's more. It's leadership. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I wrote the book because most of my friends are actually not software entrepreneurs. My brother owns a home building company. My best friend, Nick, owns a sign company. A lot of my friends are chiropractors and other local services. So I was trying to convey this information to them, right? This concept of the buyback principle. And I wasn't doing it justice because it is a system, right? So the core concept of the buyback principle is we don't hire people to grow our business. We hire people to buy back our time. So people need to understand that we're not hiring to add capacity. We're hiring to clear our calendar, okay? So it's a calendar over capacity problem. And that kind of messes with people because they're like, I can't afford paying somebody, let alone somebody that doesn't make me money. And they think capacity is how they make themselves money. But no, you get capacity for yourself, which you're skilled at a higher level by freeing up your time. 
most businesses, and this is the movement that I'm, I'm on a mission to create, is I want to help people build companies they don't grow to hate. Okay. The economy is not going to be the reason your business fails. It's you deciding like, I built this thing. I'm mildly successful, but it's killing me. I hate it. Like I don't want to do it anymore. So my whole premise is if you follow this process, the drip matrix that I teach in the book, like I literally sat down and I said, how do I create the guardrails for my friends to follow that if they just honor these, these core concepts, it's impossible for them to get to a place where they want to sell their business, sabotage their growth or stall. Right. I wrote down 25 names. I looked at the last 25 years of my experience of building, scaling companies. Every mistake I've ever made, I tried to put it in the book. I researched it. I worked on it for two and a half years. I distilled it. It was 140,000 words. I think it ended up at 38,000. So major like just distillation process. And it's gotten to a point where when we came out, we sold almost 20,000 copies in the first few weeks and it just hit a nerve because it's a first principle book, learning the value of your time and how to free up your calendar to do things that light you up, that make you more money. But at the same time, and then hire people, and I give you the sequence, what I call the replacement ladder, but then also how to become a leader that doesn't push those people away, right? With the 131 rule and the transformational leadership and the clearing conversation. Because that's, that's the problem is most CEOs are like, just do what I say, I pay you, keep that up. Let's see how that works out long-term, it just doesn't. So. <laughs> Businesses fail because the CEO don't understand that like at the, the ground level, a business is nothing more than people. Like if you take a building, it's got a company you're, yeah. and you just take the people out, you don't have a business, whole thing's gonna fall apart. Yeah. So the number one job of a CEO, once they figure out the machine they're building is to become world-class at people. And yeah, understanding the value of your time, to free up your time, to do things that light you up, to create more value for the business. These are all first principles of scale, right? And I don't know, this is fascinating, but like time is a constant, output is a variable. Elon Musk output puts every human on earth to shame, including Bezos, which is awesome. Like watching them compete for the rockets and he just crushes. So uh, what's the difference? Well, the variable is leverage. So time is the same. Elon has figured out how to do leverage better and his output is dramatically different. Some people say he has more money, but he was able to create more leverage and output even when he had no money right? Early days, he was just more creative about leverage. There's only four ways to get leverage, which I got from Naval Ravikant, right? The, the four C's. Content, which you'll love, video, playbooks. You know, you can have one person listen to this or 10 million and it has no incremental cost for the most mm-hmm. part. You've got code, which is automation and software, right? Like how do we use information systems to create, you know, throughput and improve quality and data and analytics. So there's code. AI would be in that category. Third is capital, takes money to make money, right? Nobody can deny if I have capital and I know how to invest it, I can get leverage from it. And then the fourth is collaboration. So literally I looked at all four of those C's, collaboration being labor and people, and said, how do I teach those, you know, Naval, very like prose type of like sophisticated principles into a book that a plumber can understand. Yeah. And it turns out that that resonated with a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs and I've just been, just beating that drum for the last few months and I'm not going to stop. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I literally won't stop. And what do you think it is that like, cause I, I totally agree with you that ultimately it just becomes about people, right? And like people issues, people problems, communication to those people. Like that's, that's basically the game. Yeah. Which is, can feel really different than the beginning, right? Like yeah. you get going. And First you're building you have, the machine. What yeah, is the you, thing we're building? Like, I'm trying to build this product. Does anybody yeah. like it? It's like, yeah, yeah. they like it. It's like, okay. So it's not that hard to imagine what this product could become maybe. 
you understand your customer or how they're using it. But getting a lot of people going the same direction, motivated, excited, understanding the customer problems themselves, scaling, like that is the hard part, That's right? And so it's interesting because it's the problem and it's the solution. Um, and I was wondering, like, also, as you think about this book and putting this out there, do you think, have you noticed any trends in entrepreneurs of like why they usually don't see this as a problem? Every one of them. Yeah. Like, this is so fun because I could spend 14 days with you telling every argument, reason, it will not work. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I've distilled it into. Yeah. There's only three fears. Yeah. The fear of judgment. I'm going to look stupid. Yeah. The fear of failure. Yeah. Or the fear of success. Yeah. And oftentimes, all three are present. Yeah. It's just, which one are you aware of? Yeah. Some people sabotage themselves in growing their business by not hiring a person because they're scared that person could actually make them a lot of money and they'll have to learn how to operate this business that's three times larger and yeah. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. So I'm scared that yeah. if I get there and I don't know how to do that, I'm gonna lose it all. Yeah. Like, dude, I've, I've spent so much time talking to entrepreneurs and when they say something, it's almost like I'm thin slicing their words. But it's usually stuff like, well, what if you hire somebody and they screw up? It's like, that will happen. A thousand percent that'll happen. So then the, the frame I give them is, imagine you go through this a thousand times. So imagine you gotta fire somebody. The first time somebody fires a team member, especially if it's a close friend you hire, but you just finally get to the realization yeah. that they're not gonna be the right person, <laughs> yeah. gut-wrenching. I'm yeah. talking like five, it's six horrible. nights, yeah. can't sleep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. emotional. The day comes, you're probably trembling in your voice. You're worried they're gonna swing. Like you just think of the worst scenarios. And if you stay in business for 17 years, you end up having to fire quite a few people. By the end of it, not that you're, emotionless, but you just understand that it's just part of the thing. So, so a lot of times we just got to get used to the thousand reps, right? Of doing something hard. My other philosophy that I see people say is like, well, nobody's going to do as good as me. It's like, duh. Like, you know what I mean? Like no shit, Sherlock. But my rule, and I talk about this in the book often, it's 80% done by somebody else is hundred percent freaking awesome. Like every hour I get back because I'm not doing something, I am so grateful for that person. I, and and if, it's, if it's not done to the same level that I would do it, I'm still okay with it because I didn't have to do it. So my whole thing is, is like, I try to reframe all these constraints, all these fears, right? Um, you know, and it's funny because like I've coached people at all levels, nine figure companies down to 100K a year entrepreneurs around this stuff. And they all still struggle with it. Like I've just seen so many different Things holding people back from can't hire people. How do you find great talent? But here's the big thing is if you create a culture of a two-way feedback structure, so like most people think it's the other person, okay? So like the other day I was coaching a client. He was, he was kind of giving me this, like my whole team's dumb. You know, I get this often. And uh, I said, okay, well, they all work for one person, the guy you see when you look in the mirror. So let's talk about that guy. And I said, make a list of all the stuff that pisses you off about your team. And he made the list. I said, cool, put it by the most annoying thing at the top, resort it, and you made it sort. I said, great, when's the last time you trained your team on that thing? He's like, I've never had it. Oh, you're upset because they're not good at communicating, but you've never taught them what good communication looks like. Mr. Non-Communicator, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. and as soon as I showed him that, he was like, oh, that's me. So a lot of the job of leadership is becoming a person that almost can coach mentor, train their own team. And then just know you're accountable for that. It's almost like you have two funnels in your business. You have the customer funnel and you have the team funnel. 
Okay, you have the customer and you have the talent. And to the degree that you invest in those funnels, right? Awareness, consideration, purchase, and then activation, engagement, retention, they both need the same attention. It's that most CEOs are always customer facing. And then they have people problems. It's like, why don't you split your time into half, customer market, innovation, and talent development, talent acquisition. Once people hear it, I hope that it, it creates an unlock for them because that's the thing that's gonna allow them to, to build, right? You can only grow your company to the degree you can build below you great talent. I mean, you're also talking about a lot of limiting beliefs that people have, right? Like you're talking about like a fear of failure, fear of success, fear of judgment. How do you think is the best way for someone to, to recognize they have a limiting belief and to push through it? Just be honest about it. Just, Just be, be honest. honest. Yeah, say it out loud. Have somebody you trust challenge you, right? Like a second ago, I was talking to an entrepreneur and she said something. She goes, you know, like I got a bunch of contractors and I know they'll never be as committed into the business except for full-time people and da, 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 and I got to build a business so I can hire full-time people. I said, okay, well, you have a belief that contractors will never believe in your business as much as you do. I don't have that belief because I've built an eight-figure company with contractors at one point. It turns out the government in Canada doesn't like that. So I had to convert <laughs> that back to uh, full-time people, but um, it is what it is. I learned about employment law again. Oh, it's, well, we're always learning, aren't we? I know. Just yeah. like there's always a next thing I've got to learn. But um, once I shared with her how I approached my contractors, which is no different than my internal employees, then it switched. So it's, I think it's really important to have somebody like just, just know that you have them. Like, I don't think people know that their fears are irrational or that they're limiting beliefs. They yeah. just believe them as truth. Yeah. The most dangerous thing is something you believe that just simply isn't true. Yeah. I think it's hard. I think it is hard because like, you know, everything that you think most of your instincts serve you up to a certain point. And so you're kind of programmed to believe the thoughts that you have or like when those limiting beliefs are there, they're just along with all the rest of your beliefs, the majority of which have like done pretty well by you in yeah. most cases. They've protected so, you. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think that that is like the, it is that pushing through it is like the hardest part. Um, it's, it's a tough thing. It is. That's why the why matters. Having a clear vision, what you want to create, if it's not big enough, it's not compelling enough to pull you forward, right? And there's the dark energy and the light energy. And when we start, it's usually a darker energy, right? So most people walk around the world and their energy is in the trunk of their car and it creates weight. And that's why they're walking with this like heaviness, okay? If you're an entrepreneur, you kind of start working through that. Usually you can convert that energy that normally people put in the trunk and you put it in the engine, but it's like a diesel, right? So it like doesn't burn clean, but it's, it's kind of a, I'm pushing away from like, I'm going to prove my parents wrong and I'm going to yeah. prove like, so it's like, but the, for the most part, we all start there. Like, yeah. I don't know many entrepreneurs that start with like yeah, this. But you run out quick. I mean, and it burns you yeah, out. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, so if you can switch to the light, it burns cleaner, then it pulls you forward then it feels lighter. And even as a leader, I know Chris, just cause I've seen you scale your company, you've had to embrace almost like a curiosity around when things go wrong. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you don't have that, then you are creating emotional shrapnel that makes the thing worse. So some leaders that don't understand this, they're so intense about the way they interact with their team because they're worried if they stop being that intense that they're gonna lose their edge. But they don't realize that they think it's their edge that got them there. And I would argue it's in spite of their edge yeah. that they've gotten there. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that you're saying that's like definitely resonates for me. And like there's certain moments in the story of Wistia where like when I had my first daughter and I like went out on leave for a month and I remember thinking like, okay, I'm going to come back 
and I have been going so fast. I worked crazy all the time. I would never leave the office. Like I always wanted to be the first and last out. I was also like not eating very well and like out of shape, but working out and like trying to do, do all these things. And I had, had this feeling like if I leave early, it's going to set the wrong example. And then I had my daughter and I was like, I'm an idiot. Like, what am I doing? Like, look at this alternative. But then of course, what also happened that same moment is I actually started to figure out like, oh, I don't need to be involved in all these things. Actually, me being involved in all these things is slowing us down. And like, I really need other leaders to like pick up and own more. And so it was like, for me, it's been specific like life moments or like that I haven't heard the dark energy light thing before, but definitely I was thinking about proving people wrong. Like when Brennan and I started this business, it was like, we are going to prove everybody wrong. We're going to, and we're going to sell this thing. Dude, like my six dad months. was my villain. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm going to take every doubt question he's ever asked me yeah. and I'm going to be so wildly successful. It's yeah. going to be undeniable. Yeah. I had a very similar thing. And I remember vividly going and meeting up with a bunch of people that I wanted to prove, like, look how far I've come. And I'm like, ready to be like angry. I remember that feeling. I was like, yeah, they're going to be so, and they were so nice. And they were so thoughtful. And all these people were like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. And I was like, what's happening? I always yeah. knew you could yeah. do it. I was like, oh, oh, this is, this, no, you're no, they're so nice. Like, yeah, it's like, what am I going to do without this? Yeah. And it really like, it shook me actually. It's like, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know? Um, and so it's like an interesting, I hope that more people can like break through this without having to have those life moments. I mean, I'm sure that it's always going to happen, but like, can try to break through to the positive side of this, yeah. of like the joy of having a team working together, of solving problems that haven't been solved before, of like inspiring people in like different ways of working and building tools that have never existed before, all these different types of things that can yeah. be really motivating and really exciting because it's actually affecting people every day, right? Um, but it's like, it is, it's funny, like the reasons why we decide to do things are often so different than like the reasons why we keep doing them. Keep doing, that's key. And that's the, the pull energy of a vision. And that's usually what'll happen is most people, like they just wanna be successful. Like it's pretty modest. You start off, you're like, I'd like to just have a place where I go to work that I own the company doing stuff I like to do. And that would be amazing. Yeah. Problem is, is that some folks on that journey get there, right? Or they get to this level of, you know, income or net worth where it's like, holy shit, now I'm like the most successful person I know or on my street or definitely amongst my family member. So they kind of like chill out a little bit and they also have a moment of like not feeling useful. And that's usually when I get the call, when somebody's been successful, but they just feel like they've lost it. They, they remember how they used to wake up, ready to go to work, excited about innovation. And, and every time I just ask them one question, 25 years from now, paint me a picture of what your life looks like. And they go, I don't know. I'm not surprised. Because if you have that, that's what creates the juice to jump out of bed. That's the light energy. That's the clean, I call it blue flame burns, right? It's like it burns clean and it pulls, it doesn't push, right? But then in our own companies, how do we ask our teams and our people, what do they wanna create with their lives and how do we map our stuff to theirs? Because that's that's the secret. If I can get somebody's, own selfish desire for their personal growth to map with the companies, I don't have to motivate them because I know what their internal motivation is. Yeah, it's intrinsic is. versus extrinsic. Yeah. It's, the, it's yeah. literally the cheat code. Okay, I wanna go back to how do you build the network around you? Like you wanna learn about AI, you wanna connect with some leader who's been in your industry for a while and has done it before. You're trying to connect with people who have scaled big teams or whatever. Like what's your advice for somebody for how to actually, how do you create that network? I'm very intentional. 
like I'll, I'll share exactly how I do it and I've done it in every industry, but it's, it's very clear process for me. I always write down, essentially it's, it's this concept of the hundred people. Okay. So when I started, uh, clarity, I was building a marketplace. So first thing I did was, um, I always look at the peers, the advisors and the mentors. Mentors are people that have been to where I want to go. Okay. Meaning that they've exited a marketplace company. So back when I started Clarity 2012, I think there wasn't a lot of marketplaces. There were ones going on, but in regards to people that started and exited them, like the Ebays of the world, there wasn't like, there wasn't thousands, there was maybe a hundred. So I made a list and it's always the 10 mentors. So I found these people that had built uh, marketplaces in the past and exited them. So I start there and I just reach out and ask for advice, you know, Pitbull's got this great song that ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, get money twice. Like it's solid advice for everything to get a mentor, to get anything. So, uh, Carl Jacobs was one of those guys. He had built this, uh, network marketplace called keen and sold it to AT&T. And I just kept asking people. So it's like, I meet a mentor, I get advice. I say, well, who do you know that's built a marketplace? They go, well, this guy. And I go, cool. And then I just use their name and say, Hey, I was talking to to Carl and he mentioned your name and he said, you know, and then, so there's the mentors, the 10, then I do um, 30 advisors. So these are the people that have expertise in the gaps that I have around the thing. So in the marketplace was um, engineers that understand the analytics and then uh, 60 uh, peers. And these are people that are on the journey with me, but ideally two years ahead of me. Okay. And back then it was the Airbnbs, the Ubers, and many other companies. And I would just organize dinners and I would invite them to those dinners. Every once in a while, I would use one of the mentors to be the carrot to invite them to the dinners. And that is literally, I learned, I, I, I kind of systematized this after reading um, uh, Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi back in the day. It took me a while to understand this concept, mm -hmm. like relationships, but Ever since I've done that, like every company, it doesn't matter when I started my coaching stuff, did the exact same thing. I made a list of all the people that ever built uh, eight-figure coaching companies, made a whole list of them, reached out to them. I always give myself three years. I build the lawyer infrastructure. I build the marketing infrastructure, all the consultants you're going to hire, and then all the peers. And then the, the peers, when I did my coaching stuff, I started this Facebook group. And as I'd go to events and I'd meet somebody that was doing interesting stuff, I'd be like, hey, I've got this private group where I, I add folks like yourself and we all share our best stuff that's working. And that was the carrot for everybody to participate. But that became my peer group of folks that later on didn't mean to do this, but they became my marketing partners too. So. I'm just incredibly intentional about it. So anything that's meaningful, recently launching the new private equity stuff with big band software, same thing. It's like, I wanna get into software PE, who are all the firms, who are the folks that have done it? How do I reach out to them? How do I create value for them? How do I bring them together? It takes time. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like there's no, there's no hacks per se, Yeah. but it's just, you gotta be intentional. It's just like anything, like a fundraising process or whatever. I have the sheet, I look at it, I work at it every week and I just keep working through it. All right, I wanna close with just some rapid fire questions. So yeah. just try to give like, you know, short the, answers. the short answers okay. to each of these will go fast. Yeah. What's the hardest part about building a SaaS company? Oh man, dude, that's a tough one. Screw you, <laughs> screw you, Chris, I can't, that's the answer. <laughs> oh man, that, uh, product market fit. Okay. What's the hardest part about teaching people to build SaaS companies? Retention. Retention, like in their business? Value of retention. retention. Yeah, 100%. Okay. They want the chocolate, not the broccoli. Oh, nice. What's your favorite thing about teaching people to build companies? Watching people get wildly successful and then give back to other people. Cool. 
Um, what is one thing that all SaaS founders should be paying attention to today? AI. And describe the next year in SaaS in three words. Unknown. What is the secret to longevity in the startup game? Fall in love with the problem. Will you buy a Vision Pro? What's a Vision Pro? Oh, there it goes. The new <laughs> Apple headset. Oh, I saw that yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot what they were called. Uh, 100% <laughs> will buy it. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dan, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thanks for having me at your event. This has been so fun. Dude, it's um, been great. I wish we had more time, but uh, you know they'll have to tune in next time for the next conversation. 100%. Appreciate it, guys. Cool. Um, where can people best connect with you? Buybackyourtime.com. Everybody should go there. Go check it out. Not only can you figure out how to buy the book, but uh, I put together a workbook. And essentially, a lot of people said I should sell this thing because a lot of people do, these companion books, but I give it away for free. So if they want to go get a copy, understanding all the models and the checklist and the processes for hiring an assistant and onboarding them and training them, it's all there and it's free. So buybackyourtime.com. And then Instagram. I love Instagram. So follow me at Dan Martell, 2 Martell. Perfect. On Instagram. And uh, send me a message. Let me know you guys came from the podcast and I'll always reply. There you go. Cheers. Thanks, dude. Cool. Awesome. So that interview with Dan was really interesting because I think like, I can't tell if it was just the setup of how we were there. It's obviously also, of course, Dan himself. He's just so transparent and open. I mean, it got pretty, it got pretty emotional and very real in a way that I loved. Like, I just really loved getting that deep with somebody. And, you know, everyone's origin story can affect them in some way or another. Like we're, you know, there's the modeling of your parents or your school or your peers or whatever. But I think in Dan's case, it's just like such a powerful example of really having the confidence that you can take control of your life, you know, totally. and that he like live and breathe that every day. So it's just, it was like a inspiring conversation to have. I agree. I think like, Two things struck me. One, what you're just talking about. I mean, I think like transparency and vulnerability, like is you just can never mess with it because it's so clearly true. You know, it's like you can't mess with facts. You know, you can't mess with someone or with something that's just honest. And like when you're transparent and you're vulnerable, it just comes across. And so you, you listen, you pay attention and like you get a real understanding of where that person's coming from. What I really liked about it is how that's so well informed or how that got him really close to he's clearly someone who's about like the golden circle, the finding your why, that type of thing. And like, I think how he connects that to his why and his purpose and how that he that really reinforces what drives him. I think that's really cool because I think ultimately, like when you're telling a story, whether it's about your own personal story or your or a business or a product, anything like when you're really getting to the heart of something like that is when it it clicks for everyone. It was like coming up in this in the terms of like what's limiting you, what's stopping you from being vulnerable or from being for being authentic or for just sharing your story. There's a lot of hurdles we put in front of ourselves like, oh, this isn't good enough or oh, this doesn't look like everything else that I'm soaking up and like. You make mistakes when you share, like some things don't go well and some things do or, but I don't know, it, it, it is, it's hard to know when and how to share, but I think it's going to resonate with someone. Your audience is there. So all those things I agree are all tied up in a really cool way in that conversation. Yeah. It's very relevant to everyone because I think 
whether it's like if you're trying to market something and it's should I put this out there? Are people not going to like it? Is it not going to work? Is this campaign going to flop? Is like, it right? It's like, is, is it right? right? Quotation then, marks? Yeah. 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 And then I think it's like this like freeing feeling of no, for some people, you need to find the right people who care about the stuff and obviously do your best to put the best things out there. But the truth is like if you put something out there and no one responds to it, no one really saw it. Like it wasn't that it wasn't, it wasn't a big miss, you know, it's only yeah. once you've built a large audience is there a risk, I think in terms of what you're sharing. And I think his point is like, if you stay on your own direction of the things you're trying to do, you will attract the people who want that as well. And so yeah, that's how this stuff compounds. Yeah, you get close together because I think too, if like if no one, if you really have your, it's like a complete vacuum response. You know, I think a couple things could happen. Is one, it's like, did you share along the way to like, yeah, bring people with you and to be building or just making those connections with people? Or the other thing that he said, you know, in that in the rapid fire was like one of the biggest things is like product market fit. You know, and it's like sometimes it's a hard way to learn if you're if you. You know, if you don't have that product market fit, like that's part of making products. That's part of the process of making anything is just like trying something. Part of it works. Part of it doesn't iterate. Hopefully more of it works the next time. More of it works and more of it works and more of it works. So, yeah, I think like if you do have that vacuum of response, like you didn't say it loud enough or you didn't say it enough times along the way. Or guess what? Like maybe that's really not resonating and you need to find that little grain of thing that is. It's always different. But, yeah. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. It's it's really good. I think it's good stuff for us to keep thinking about. It's good stuff, hopefully, for you all who are listening and watching to keep thinking about. And it's fun to be in a new environment. Hopefully, they, that that was kind of fun, just like being in a new space. Oh yeah, that was great. That was really fun to be in a new space. Um, but look, if you're listening, you're watching, you're getting value. Like we just want to remind you, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. it helps get please, the word get out there. It. Review. Give us a review. review. Tell yeah, us what get you just think. Just a quick review. Quick review. Send no us an email. Deal. Send us a voicemail. Yeah. Send yeah. us a voice message. Yes. Um, if you want to connect with us, uh, Sylvie's not here, so we're not going to promote her today. So you can connect with me, C Savage, on Twitter, <laughs> or Adam Day. Adam Day, where can they find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Adam Day at Wistia. Let's go. There you go. Um, and I am, as I mentioned often, not spending more time on LinkedIn these days. Um, if you have feedback for us, those voice memos Adam was talking about, you can email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. We want to hear what you think. What do you love? What episodes recently have been speaking to you? Yes. All that good stuff. And, you know, send some voice memos. They may get into the show. Um, and I think that's it. Is that it, Adam? I think that's it. I mean, it's been a while since I've had my producer cap on, but this is feeling like a good wrap-up section. It feels like a good time. Hopefully the background music is rolling in at this point. We can get out of here. (laughs) All right. We'll see you, everybody. All right. Catch you later. Bye. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day, executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.